Look at the Sikha, it's volume 20 by Yechi. This is uh, the verse that Yaakov gathers his sons on his deathbed, and he says, let me tell you what will happen at the end of days, and Rashi brings down from the Talmud and from the Medrash, that Yaakov wanted to reveal to them the Kates, Bikesh Yaakov Legalis it's a Kates. He wanted to reveal to them when Mashiach is coming, and it became concealed from him. There's two ways that it's written. Either he completely forgot about it himself, or the Shekhinah left him as an indication it's not time to reveal it. Bottom line, uh-uh, don't reveal it. I must tell you, I wondered about this many, many times before I learned this Sicha. What's the point? Yaakov wants to reveal the end of days? Like, why? Why? And as the Rebbe asked the question, which is asked by various commentaries as well, how is this helpful? This is going to be very debilitating. If they know that the Sheikh is not coming for 3,000 years, that's hardly going to be inspiring. The Rebbe first offers uh, one of the answers of the commentaries that, look, for most people who are not perfectly righteous, if you tell them that Mashiach is not coming for 3,000 years, it's going to be a long trek of this service of Hashem, this avoidance Hashem without the reward or without the culmination of it, they'll give up. However, Yaakov was sure that his sons who were righteous, they can handle it. And therefore, he wanted to tell it to them. But the Rebbe says, what's the point? So maybe they won't become debilitated by hearing the fact that Mashiach's not come for 3,000 years. But what's the game? Besides, if, if, if 12 people know something, it's not a secret anymore. It'll probably leak out. What was the game? Let's assume they're all righteous and they won't become debilitated. They'll work. But what are you going to gain from it? Then the Rebbe brings another commentary in the footnotes that this was a way to uh, give them greater reward. They will know that Mashiach is not coming for 3,000 years. So they know that all their service is just because of the sake of Hashem. They're not looking to finish the job and the reward. And therefore, they are, they, they're challenging themselves to work just L'Shem Shamayim, just L'Shma, just for Hashem's sake, without uh, any reward. And even though they know that this is so far away, they're still not a losing heart. So they get a tremendous a reward for that. They showed strength. But the Rebbe doesn't like that answer either. Because, which is brought in commentary. Because the Rebbe says, we know, we say every morning in davening, don't bring me to a test. It's not a mitzvah to test yourself or to test others. It's, it's not a positive thing to say, let me test myself to see how strong my resolve is. So why would Yaakov do this to them? So we're back to the same question. What was the point? He's not just trying to show that he knows. Bikesh Yaakov, it's a strong language, not just he wanted, like Ratzah, but Bikesh. He desired, he wanted to tell him this. It was really important to him, and Hashem signaled to him that he shouldn't. And really, the Rebbe says, we have to understand the whole conversation. You're dealing with Yaakov Avinu, you're dealing with not just a tzaddik, you're dealing with a Merkava, a chariot to Hashem. Everything he does is Hashem's will. So why would he want to do it? What's the purpose? And if he had a purpose, clearly he had, why would Hashem stop it? And if Hashem had a reason to stop it, so what was he thinking? And in the end, the Rebbe says there needs to be a purpose to this whole exercise. That he wanted to do it, Hashem did not let him do it, and yet something was gained. Otherwise, why, why would he have done it? Nothing that a tzaddik wants and asks for goes in vain. And the Torah talks about it, and it's recorded almost explicitly in the Torah. And what was gained? So the way I see it, 
we can call it the four questions, a little bit like Pesach, just for for clarity, because the Sikha goes back and forth a little bit. And uh, what I try to do is make it sort of simple. That I'm, 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 It's really one big question, like, what's going on here? What does Yaakov want? What does Hashem want? But the Rebbe takes it down to detail, because the Rebbe, everything in Torah has to be perfect and true and real and meaningful. So one, what's the value in revealing the redemption? Two, if there is a value, there has to be, because Yaakov Avinu doesn't just do things. So why didn't Hashem allow it? Three, if there's a good reason for that, so what was Yaakov thinking? In spite of Hashem's good reason not to reveal it, Yaakov still intended to reveal it. Why? And for what was gained in the end from him wanting to reveal it. And again, as we said at the beginning, that this should not be inspirational at all. This would be very debilitating. Stop telling them that 3,000 years from now, Mashiach is going to come. <laughs> that is not a good news. So what's the point in this whole thing? So the Rebbe comes along and says, it's not that Yaakov wanted to reveal to them uh, the end of days that Mashiach is going to come, God forbid, in 3,000 years, which we're still waiting for. However, no, Yaakov wanted to reveal to them that the Kates that they knew is going to be Exodus from Egypt, which they knew had to be soon, because there was a deadline that Avram Avinu was given, 400 years, and it was cut down to even less that that can actually be the final redemption. Because Yaakov, the Yaakov wanted to reveal and sort of empower them that this end that you know prophetically in the family, that there will be going down, they just came down to Egypt, right? That this is going to end. We all know it's going to end soon, right? 400 years have a limit. And at that point, Yaakov said, I'm going to reveal to them that if they want with their service in a strong way, that would be the final redemption. That would be inspirational. You're not talking about 3,000 years away. You're talking about a couple of hundred years that are left. And we all know that in redemption, this is an important part of this sikha, that in redemption, the Chazal tell us many times, it's based on a, a prophetic verse in Tanakh, Zahu Achushana, that Be'ita Achushana, that Mashiach come and it's time, or it can come early, through merits, through mitzvahs, through abstaining from Avedis, the Jewish people can hurry it up. It's not just set in stone. And therefore, this is a principle in the concept of redemption, and therefore, Yubikish, Yaakov, the Gala says the case, Yaakov wanted to reveal and empower that this case of Exodus, which is pretty soon, can be the end of days, but it's up to you guys. So therefore, there would be a value to the revelation. The Rebbe pushes back, but that's still 200 years away. They're now in Egypt 17 years. They have to be there 210 years. So it's almost 200 years away. None of them are going to live that long. It's still not such an inspiring message. It's not 3,000 years, but it's still not going to be something that they're going to witness in their lifetime. Eh. So the Rebbe says further, no. Not only Yaakov Avinu wanted to reveal to them that in 200 years from now could be the final redemption if they do it right. But if they really do it right, they can hurry it up. Because we know the principle is you can hurry things up. Not only could you hurry up the final redemption to Exodus, you can hurry up Exodus to soon. And this is not such a foreign concept to them and to Torah. Because right here... In the story of Exodus, we know that the 400 years originally prophesied were pushed down to 210 by Hashem making some cheshbit. So therefore, Hashem wills it and, and encourages and helps us to hurry it up. It's not an unfathomable concept. 400 years was cut down to 210. 
in the footnote, the Rebbe says that even the uh, the seven years of famine were cut down to two years by the, the merit of Yaakov. And therefore, it follows, says the Rebbe, it makes sense. Yaakov gathers his sons and he says, let me tell you, in 200 years, there's a, there's a case. There's a promise that we can make that the final redemption, and yet we can hurry it up. And this would have been very inspirational. Oh, boy. They would have rolled up their sleeves, and they would have taught their children and grandchildren, let's be very careful. Let's refrain from any from any idolatry which the Jews fell into in Mitzrayim. Let's keep ourselves pure and holy. Let's be strong because we're going to be out of here. We'll be done. The whole mission will be accomplished in a very short time. So it makes Perfect sense that Yaakov wanted, not just Yaakov, but he really wanted Bikesh. He desired to do this. This could have been a game changer. Brilliant. Says that Rebbe, so why didn't he do it? Why didn't Hashem let him? And the answer is precisely because it would have been so inspiring. There's a principle that... It's supposed to be that's the language. We're supposed to serve Hashem with our own volition. Although Hashem does help us, and there's a principle in Talmud that if Hashem didn't help us, we would never get through the day. We would never have a good day of Avedis Hashem. We do need His help, but His help is in a hidden way, not in a way that we really feel it. This is the concept of, uh, for example, the, the Basco, there's a heavenly voice that announces certain things every single day that's supposed to inspire us. Hopefully we don't hear those voices. If you hear those voices, call your doctor. So what's the purpose of the voices? Subconsciously, subliminally, they help us, they inspire us. And of course, Hashem is in the background and inspiring us. And, and, and no question that we all need that help from Hashem to be inspired. But bottom line, on a conscious level, on a real-time level, we are supposed to choose on our own volition. And that's what makes the service meaningful. That we did it, not because Hashem was propelling us and compelling us to do it. If they were serving Hashem right after Yaakov's bracha, and they tell their children and their grandchildren, listen here, we can knock this off in the next 30, 40 years. We can bring Mashiach. <laughs> it's right here. We heard this from Yaakov. So then they're not doing it on their own. This is like they're, they're, there's a grand sale. You know, they're really being propelled and compelled to do it by some outside force. And that will lack in the perfection of the service of Hashem, the entire mission of the Jewish people, and what have you, to make the world holy, etc., etc., will have been circumvented. Because we know the whole idea is we're supposed to make the lower world a home for Hashem, and part of that is that the lower people do it. They didn't do it. They got some kind of memo that there's a crash sale, that in 30, 40, 50 years, or what have you, they can knock this off. So they got going. It, it wasn't them serving Hashem from their own volition. They were totally inspired by some outside magical force. And it would be lacking in its service, and therefore it would not be complete. Why is it not complete? This is a concept that Gemara says, a person wants one measure that's his own, earned, rather than nine times that, that's just gifted to him for free. People like to earn. If you don't earn it, it's not yours. Similarly, Hashem, if we would have this heavily inspiration via Yaakov Avinu, the Jews will never have accomplished the perfection of, this, of, of the mission, and it will be lacking a fundamental level of perfection. Namely, it's not what's called it's not their own. I want to share a Hasidic story in this vein that um, 
the Alter Rebbe had a chassid, and that chassid had a friend who was uh, who was a chassid of of one of the non Chabad Rebbes, the Alter Rebbe's colleagues. Um, I have his name. His name was Heiko. Uh, this was Chaim uh, Heiko Amdura. So you have the Alter Rebbe, and then there's a, a colleague of his, another student of the Magad, his name is Chaim Heiko Amdura, who did not teach his students in the way of Chabad, albeit very holy and inspired. And each of them had a student, and they were good friends. And the student, of, and we know the Alter Rebbe's way, Chabad is all, that's why I'm bringing in this story. That in the other circles of Hasidic Poilin, it was more about the faith and the nullification to the Rebbe that carries you. Whereas in Chabad, although obviously there's a Muna in the Rebbe, etc. However, that's more in a, in a uh, subliminal way. The reality is the chassid has to do his own work. He has to learn chassidus, he has to dab, and he has to deal with his own nefesh Bahamas. So this chassid complained to the Alter Rebbe that he watches his own davening, and he watches the davening of his friends, who's the student, who's the chassid of Chaim Kaikal. He says, my davening, some days I'm inspired, some days I'm not. It depends how much time and meditation I had, how much clarity of mind and heart. It's not the same. Whereas him, every day is on fire. Ebrent, that's the language. So he complained to the Alter Rebbe, Ebrent, I'm jealous. The Alter Rebbe said, Nisht Erbrent, Chaim Chaikel Brent. He's not burning. His Rebbe Chaim Chaikel is burning because of his submission to his Rebbe. So when you are inspired by an outside force and that becomes your main energy, your main inspiration, it's not you. Which is one of the main things of Chabad, that it has to be you. And here the Rebbe brings it into the Sikh. And therefore, Yaakov Avinu, uh, uh, why did Yaakov want to reveal it, if that's the case? That's why Hashem did not allow him, because it would have been lacking in the perfection of the service and the mission of Dirabitakhtenim would be accomplished in a flawed fashion. But Yaakov Avinu loves his children, doesn't want them to suffer. He doesn't want this long goals. He probably had an idea of what's coming down the pike. And he said, yeah, perfect, perfect. Let's bring Mashiach which is the perspective of the Nesir Yisrael, the leaders of the Jewish people, to always push back and say, perfect. The Rebbe even spoke that language many times to Hashem. You're waiting for perfection. Eh? Let Mashiach come, then we'll have perfection. In the meantime, you'd not suffer. So this will make sense. This will answer the questions. So I'm looking at the screen. Question one is answered. He wanted to reveal that Exodus could be the redemption, the final redemption, and hurried up. However, why did Hashem not want it? The Rebbe presents two perspectives. So far, we talked about A. But this would make the service not totally their own, like the Chaim Chaikal Amdura story. It's going to be Hashem's inspiration, Yaakov's inspiration. They're waiting for the redemption. It's not that they did it and they, because of their servants of Hashem, and they refine themselves to be committed. They're not committed to nothing. They're being pushed by some outside force. If that's the case, why did Yaakov do it? Number three, A. Yaakov was content with an earlier redemption, albeit imperfect. He just cares about the Jews suffering, and he'll take imperfect. But Hashem doesn't go for that. And the Rebbe presents a deeper interpretation. The Rebbe uses the language, it's deeper, and that's the B in two, and subsequently the B in three. And that is, not only is there something lacking in the completion of the service, if it's inspired from without, 
It's a fundamental lack. Remember, this service of the Yidin in the time of Golis is there to lay the groundwork to prepare for the perfect redemption. Perfect redemption means it's forever. It's never again it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be perfect and consistent. And therefore, what type of service can trigger that? A perfect, consistent service. What service is perfect and consistent? One that I inspire, that I am in control of. Because any, any service that is based on an outside inspiration, we cannot call it consistent. And we don't know because it's, it's not dependent on me. It's from the outside. So you can't call it consistent. I don't control uh, how it's going to be. If there's outside inspiration, I'll do it. If not, I won't. So in, in its concept, in its very essence, it's flawed. It's lacking consistency. I may be doing it every day, but I'm I'm never really consistent because I'm not taking control of my range. I'm just going with the flow. So in concept, it's completely not consistent. Whereas if the service is, is my own service and I take the reins and I make a commitment, I'm consistent. And therefore, it's a deeper flaw in this service. Not just that it's imperfect, but the whole idea of the service is to prepare for a perfect, consistent redemption. It's got to be, be a consistent service. And by definition, consistent service means I'm in control of it. I made a decision to be committed. And that I can do consistently. Whereas if I'm dependent on outside inspiration, we don't know what the inspiration will be, when it will change. And therefore, it's not up to me. So that becomes the answer of uh, 2B, whereas why did Yaakov not want it? Why did Yaakov not care about that? If this is a fundamental flaw in the service and it's lacking, it's lacking what it needs to be a preparation for the final redemption because of this consistency thing. So how could Yaakov want to circumvent it? Then it's not going to be able to bring the perfect consistent redemption. So here the Rebbe gives a whole deeper beard on Pichsidis, that Yaakov is the Shamas from Matzilos. And the bottom line is that Yaakov already accomplished this service on his own volition. He was already on that level of perfection and consistency, what have you. And he overevaluated his children, which often the tzaddikim do. And he thought that they too were on that level, and that's why he wanted to give it to them. I'll say one word about this concept of a service that is self-motivated is more consistent. And that's the only service of appearance for Mashiach. Now you look around, we're in Gullus, we don't see miracles. And what's the value? Aha! Because we'll do it on our own. And that'll be consistent. Now, if you're breathing, you know that your service is not the same every day. So I, I, it's clear that the Rebbe doesn't mean that a person becomes a robot. And there are many such examples in Chassidus. Anything that's done by a living being is going to have ups and downs. That's, that's par for the course. A human being, the language is a bal shinuyim. We have changes. We have ups and downs. We have more positive days and negative days for various reasons or for no reason. It's just the way it is. So let's not get the wrong idea here that the Rebbe is saying that if I'm doing my avayda on my own, it will all be the same. Then you know you're a robot. You become an AI. That's not what the Rebbe is saying. Think about, a friend of mine gave me a good example for this. Think about nature. Nature is consistent, even though it has many changes. It has seasons. Sunrise, sunset, et cetera, et cetera. 
yeah, the nature of things is that they change, that they fluctuate, but they're running their course. There's a consistency in the fluctuation. When you when something is miraculous, not natural, you, you can't call it consistent at all. Heaven decreed it should happen. Tomorrow it won't happen. So that would be a good example to us. If my service is miraculous, meaning it's inspired by Hashem, or in this case, inspired by Yaakov's prophetic vision of immediate redemption, it's not consistent. It's like a miracle. It happened. If tomorrow I don't have that inspiration, it's gone. So qualitatively, it never is consistent. It's it's not embedded in the person. It hasn't become his natural way of living, that he's an oibed Hashem, that he's a servant of Hashem. Conversely, when the year does it without that inspiration, and he has to do the heavy work, Heavy lifting, which this is a very important piece in the Sikh, that the whole service in the Gullahs, where we don't see Hashem, we don't see the miracles, etc. So we have to do it on our own. It seems like dark. But this is what brings out our commitment. We are in it, not miraculously inspired, but naturally, so to speak, we have harnessed ourselves, our mind and hearts, to the best of our ability to try to do the service. It's a consistent service. It's a service that sort of we have, we have integrated into our person. Now, like any part of nature, it's going to fluctuate. But it's fluctuating in a consistent way. That's how I see this. I don't want this to be debilitating, to be discouraging to somebody who feels changes. If you're breathing, you're going to have changes. You're going to have good days and bad days. You're going to have inspired times and less inspired times. But the, comp the, the, the total sum of it is that you are living in a consistent basis. You're committed. It's not some outside force. So bottom line is, so where are we? We've addressed one, two, and three. We know what Yaakov's intention was. We know why Hashem was against it. It would have been an incomplete service or an inconsistent service. And we know why Yaakov still, what was Yaakov thinking? Either he's just content with it or because he's on a different level. But bottom line is, let's call it he was wrong, so to speak. It's not okay to give the Jews that free ride, that imperfect ride, but it makes sense that the tzaddik is the one who wants to give them that for the reason A or the reason B. So, so far, everything falls into place. But we're left with that last piece. What about, at the end of the day, what was accomplished from this whole exercise? Yaakov Avin, who's a chariot for Hashem? We know that when a tzaddik wants something, a tzaddik davens for something, uh, it'll always happen in some fashion. And the Rebbe says it's put into Torah, which means it's a lesson forever. The Torah doesn't ignore this. If this was a mistake, the Yaakov Avinu, you know, misjudged, if that's even possible. So he wanted to do something. It wasn't a good idea. So he didn't do it. So it shouldn't have been in the Torah. No, the Torah eternalizes it as a lesson to us. You should know Yaakov wanted to do it, but Hashem didn't let him. Three aforementioned reasons. And it doesn't just say Ratzah Yaakov. Bikish Yaakov. Bikish means Bakosha. He requested it. He wanted it in a way that he prayed it. And we know that when the Tzaddik prays, it has to come true. Plus, he's a chariot to Hashem. So everything he does is by divine. It's sort of in sync. So in the end, question four begs, what was gained from this whole conversation as an eternal lesson for you and I? Only the Rebbe does this. <laughs> Says the Rebbe, of course something was accomplished. And that is that even though he couldn't reveal the end of days and he couldn't provide that redemptive type of inspiration because that would have been cheating. And that would have been uh, too easy. It would have been gifted. However, in some subliminal level, he did gift it to us. If we would have heard it directly, etc., it would have been 
it wouldn't have worked because it would have been a free ride. It would have been, we have this tremendous inspiration and we are lacking our own service. That wouldn't be good. That's why Hashem vetoed it. However, because he so desired it, and we know the will of a tzaddik will always happen, on some level it was fulfilled. That at least in subliminal level, in a subconscious level, every Jew sees redemption as an immediate possibility. And every Jew, in some sense, therefore, is capable of rising above the gullus and living beyond the, the constraints of gullus from the outside nations and from his own Yetzirah. Yaakov empowered us, but not in a way that takes away our free choice, not in a way that we're not doing it. It's subliminal. With the exception of the great tzaddikim, to them it was in a real way. And that's why this tzaddikim throughout the generations who really have that revelation of redemption, which means they're living Mashiach, as it says about Avchum Bayechai, it says about, you know, that they didn't need Mashiach. They, and therefore all the great tzaddikim, to them this is real. But to the rest of us, this was also gifted to us that we're not totally on our own living in Golos. We are living on a subconscious level, on our Nishama level, we're not in Golos. And that's how we're able to, by our own volition, overcome it. And the Rebbe gives an example from Torah of the similar thing. It says by Moshe Rabbeinu that he begged Hashem to go into Eretz Yisrael. He davened tough kuf tesvav prayers. The gematria of the word Ve'eschanan, right? 515 prayers. Also the gematria of the word Tefillah prayer. I want to go into the land. And Hashem said, no, you can't. However, and he kept saying, I want to go into the land. I want to see it. Hashem said, no, go up to the mountain and look from afar. I always joke with people in my classes. I say, look, you know, my kids want to go to Six Flags. I say, no, but we're going to drive by on the 95 or what have you. And you'll look at it. That's a tease. But he should have been who wants to go over and see the land. Obviously, he wants whatever that means, the holiness, etc. And you tell me that I could look on the mountain and see it? That's ridiculous. It's a tease. So it's explained in Chassidus that what Moshe Rabbeinu wants to go over to the land, it's not that he wants to go over because he wants to stamp his passport that he went. He wants to go over the languages, I want to see it. And it's explained that by Moshe seeing the land, he would impart all future generations of Jews, this closeness to Hashem in a way of something that is visible. That all future generations will be like little Moseses. They will see Hashem, all future generations, which is signified in the fact that they crossed over to the land. They left the miraculous bubble of the desert where everything was Gileolikos, revelation of divinity. They're in the land. They're in the physical realm. All the future generations, they're normal people. They're brought down to earth. However, by Moshe Rabbeinu going over and seeing the land, he will impart the concept of vision. Seeing is believing that God is real. You see it, which means the Jews would have all been many prophets. What a great thing that would be. Why should the Jews have to struggle and there's so many sins and mistakes, etc.? Let them see Hashem the way Moshe does and they'll all be perfect. It will be wonderful. But Hashem said, no, 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 you can't do that. And that's why the operative prayer in Yiddishkeit is not see, but Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel. Hear it, we have it on faith, we hear it through Torah study, we, we can try to integrate it, but it's something of hearing. When you hear something, you, you, you can sometimes forget it. You can sometimes question it, God forbid. Whereas you see it, it, it becomes a fact. Hashem said, no, they can't have that. 
And the reason is the same reason as in this Sikha, why Yaakov couldn't reveal the Kates. Because if the Yidin would be little Moseses, they would not be doing it by their own volition. There would be no free choice, really. They'd all be big tzaddikim. So they did all the mitzvahs. They never did an Avera because they see it. That's hardly the accomplishment. Hashem wants that we should do it. And therefore Hashem said, no, it's going to be Shema Yisrael. They're going to struggle. They're going to have ups and downs. And they're going to have their questions and their doubts, etc. And they will study it. And Shema Yisrael, the Yid is capable of hearing it and understanding it and, and therefore living by it. But this is their own hard work. It's theirs. It's much more valuable as per the two points that were made earlier. So Meishir Abenu, it doesn't get his way. However, Hashem says, but you can go up to the top of the mountain and see it from afar. Chassidus explains that by doing so, he did afford the Yidin the concept of Re'iyah, of seeing godliness as prophetic, as real, albeit from afar. That subconsciously, every Yid is a mini-prophet. On some level of the Pintal Yid, of the Neshama, of the Spark, every Yid feels Hashem. Every Yid sees Hashem. And therefore, and without that, they would never survive the Golos. In fact, that is what helps us. On a conscious level, we're doing the work, but on a subliminal level, we're seeing it, and therefore, both become true. I gave this class here in my community, and somebody said, isn't that similar to the baby forgetting the Torah that it learned? And I believe the Rebbe says the same thing in another sikha, that same point. The baby learns the whole Torah in embryo, and then it forgets it. So what's the point if you forgot it? And the answer is that you forget, but you still had learned it, and therefore, subconsciously, you have it. You have to forget it, otherwise there's no free choice. You didn't choose to learn Torah. You didn't choose to be uninspired yid. It's been gifted to you. However, without that having learned it and, so to speak, forgetting it, which means on a subconscious level, you already have it, we would never be able to do it with our own choice. Which goes back to the original point earlier, that the Torah does say you're supposed to do it with your own volition. At the same time, the principle is, if Hashem didn't help us, we would never be able to win the Yitzhahara not even one day. So it's not in, it, it's not inconsistent, and therefore says that Rebbe. This explains Yaakov Avinu's desire, and uh, it's very similar to Moshe Rabbeinu. Rebbe gives a tremendous innovation here, but backs it up with how we see it in Torah in the case of Moshe Rabbeinu, etc. And um, and therefore it, it wasn't a wasted effort what Yaakov Avinu tried to accomplish. I want to just conclude as I often do, little. I'll bring in point, if you will. One of the moments that I had with the Rebbe, when the Rebbe gave me the sitter as a chassan, you know, the Rebbe would give the sitter to a chassan the day of the wedding to Davin Mincha. And it was a very big deal for the chassan, is Davin Mincha, the Rebbe's sitter. Al Chait, in my case, it wasn't the day of the wedding because I got married in LA, so it was a couple of days prior. And the Rebbe comes out of his room. For a bacher, this is probably the most personal moment he has with the Rebbe. The Rebbe is giving him his sitter. And uh, and the Rebbe said to me, which he probably said to every chassan, you should ask for all good things. It's not a good translation. Betes is more than ask. You should ask and you should succeed in, 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 in achieving by Hashem all good things for your lifetime. And I remember thinking about that here you're a chassan. This is your mincha before your wedding. And, uh, all, you know, all of the, the davenings, uh, everything you need for the whole life, everything is sort of bottled up in that moment. So you figure that I will just give you the bracha. But the Rebbe says, no, you have to ask for it. But I'm going to give you the sitter. This is very much the Chabad thing. It's very much the theme of this sicha. Clearly, the idea is you have to do it because we want it to be yours. 
But clearly on your own, you're nothing. So the Rebbe gives you the sitter. In the case of the Sikh, Yaakov Avinu, the Rabbein, the Tzadik, Yemesh Rabbeinu, set the system up in such a way that that inspiration is there. We're sort of being held up, albeit subconsciously. Because on a conscious level, it's got to be our effort. And this, one might say, is very much the situation that we're in now, uh, that we're in the 30th year since Gimel Thomas. It's hard to believe it. And we see two opposite things. On the one hand, we don't have that push from the outside. And it's been said by many people that this is part of the plan. But you know, ultimately, it's about Dira B'Takhtenim, and it has to be B'Tzad and it has to be from us. So here we have a 30-year period, but we don't have the physical presence of the, of, of the Rebbe. It's unprecedented. It's not supposed to be. It's not the, it's not the plan, according to the book. And perhaps it's been argued. Clearly, it's for a reason, because if that's what's happening, it's been argued that this means that what that, uh, that we're supposed to do. We're on our own. We can't just walk by and get a dollar and get Kishel Bracha and get that little zetz. So now is the real test. Is it yours? Is it consistent? Is it is it your Aveda? Are you in? We're at the same time we're seeing now, Dafka, the last 30 years, tremendous empowerments, tremendous revelations. Tremendous successes in Anash and in Shluchim in ways we never imagined. Tremendous feelings. Every kid feels the Rebbe. They give a, to a small effort. They, they, we, we feel the connection. A little focus following the Rebbe's takonis of what the Rebbe wants from us. Hasidim know that they feel that connection. They can't even explain why they feel it. And I'm suggesting that this is the two sides of this coin. On the one hand, we're on our own, and that's part of the process. That's, I guess, the ultimate Aveda. On the other hand, on our own. On our own, it's impossible. And therefore, the empowerment, the bikish, the galas, the bikish, the desire, and the prayer that the Rebbe screamed, we want Mashiach now, and revealed within us, and within the world, within Deirashvi, within his generation, that redemption is real. It's on hand empowered and empowers us in ways that are unimaginable and even more so than before to see that we're beyond redemption. Nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible today for us. Nothing's impossible today in the realm of Yiddishkeit. We're accomplishing things that we never imagined. And perhaps the two together is ultimately we'll finish the job. Bring Mashiach now. That ever says in the footnote, the word now is the numerical of 57, which is God's name, Kael Hashem. We want Mashiach now. 